0: It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go I was debating about doing make a dance a up here, but and ten, I don't want to make you lose and your breakfast. With candy canes and if you didn't notice, back glow, in October, the retailers started stocking the shelves with Christmas decorations and upping their supplies, because nothing says Christmas like being surrounded by halloween candy and costume halloween is past. thanksgiving is in our rearview mirror and now it's officially time for us to prepare for christmas for the church we call this season advent it is the latin term which means the arrival of anticipation of or preparation for and as we prepare our hearts for the season of advent and celebrate jesus birth let us really take a look at understanding the background leading up to Christ's birth. And for this, we're going to look at the book of Malachi, chapter 2, verse 17. I'll give you a hint, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, and then turn back one book. The prophets are interesting, guys, and if by interesting you mean things like, Isaiah the prophet walked around naked for several years to get across a message. I will go ahead and tell you, I will never do that. Or you have Hosea who married a prostitute to prove Israel's true relationship to God. After reading most of the words from the prophets, most of us would say, wow, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Take a a deep drink of just calm yourself down, man. These guys were so angry with their message. But the prophets served as an alternative voice of reason among the people. They were commissioned and they were empowered by God. The prophets were called to bring the people back to obedience in God. And so their message was never really popular. Malachi is one of those prophets. And it's, it's tough to read this book because it's full of so many warnings and disappointments about God's people, yet Malachi is the last recorded prophet in Hebrew scriptures, and it bears great significance the very important prophet, will give us a glimpse into the time leading up to Jesus of Nazareth. For this, we look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. And we have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is God of justice? This carries over into chapter 3. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand where he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men bring him offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be accepted to the Lord as in days gone by as in the former years. You see, the prophet is speaking to the people in not a very happy set of circumstances. And he's trying to minister to this community that is disappointed and disillusioned in their faith to God. And the people of God had returned from their Babylonian captivity with high expectations and hopes that they were going to return to this former glory they had experienced before the exile. But when they returned, they were only met with disappointment. Soon the returnees faced the realities of a hostile land and the problems of restoring a nation that was devastated by the blight of war. But Malachi steps forward with this promise that God is going to bring great significance to them. And like his predecessors, Malachi will continue this theme of what's called the Messianic Age. Seen throughout the prophet's messianic age was depicted as a time when the Messiah would come who would redeem the Jewish people to gather them out of exile and to rule in a prosperous time. Therefore, the people were praying for a Messiah to come. For fans of Star Wars and The Matrix and Lord of the Rings, this is a very... Easy theme for us to gravitate to. The idea of a chosen one who will bring balance to the force or destroy the Matrix or unite the kingdoms of men. So a young Obi-Wan Kenobi and Qui-Gon Jinn seek out to find a child who would destroy the Sith. They believe Anakin Skywalker is the one who will do it. Spoiler alert, he isn't. He becomes Darth Vader. Morpheus seeks to uh, seek someone uh, who will destroy the Matrix, and he finds this man. Spoiler alert, the first Matrix movie is great. The rest of them are trash. And then a reluctant Aragorn hides in the shadows, fighting against this rightful claim he has to the heir of men, believing that he doesn't have what it takes to restore order to Middle-earth. Spoiler alert, he succeeds. See, preparing for a Savior is part of our cultural and entertainment narrative. And according to Malachi... The Lord desires to bring his nation and to bless them and to return them to what they were before. And the prophet urges the people to live a life of commitment and moral responsibility to God. His book is intended to rekindle the fire of their faith, to live in God's ways. And according to Malachi, a day is coming where God is going to bring restoration. But a messenger must come first to prepare the people. And so Malachi urges his contemporaries to engage in religious revival, remember God, remember the Torah, remember what God has called us to. And the very last words of his book speak of a great day that will bring reconciliation between the generations of the old and modern. And he leaves us with this, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of a great terrible day of, of eternal to turn the hearts of parents to their children and hearts of children to their parents, lest I come and smite the land with destruction. All of this leading to a messenger who will come to prepare their hearts. It's a glorious and hopeful message, one that they so desperately learn and yearn for the Messiah. However, what's difficult for us to grasp is Malachi speaks these words, probably in the time frame of 450 to 430 BCE and a quick snapshot of history around his time we understand that these words were never fulfilled in his generation and in the generations to come you see after the babylonian captivity in 486 the people exchange hands between the babylonians and the persians soon cyrus the great defeats the babylonians and he slowly allows the israelites back into their land Then from 492 to 449, this new upheaval shook the Hebrew people as the Greek city-states united to fight against the Persian Empire. And as soon as they crumbled in 430 to 404, the Peloponnesian War, these great city-states left this vacuum for Alexander the Great to create this empire the world had never seen before, including Israel. For a 500-year period, Israel just exchanged hands from one superpower to another superpower. So where is this Messiah? Where is this messenger that's coming to prepare the way? Where is God's redemption? Where is God? Was maybe a better question they ask. I've mentioned before to you that uh, every year in school, it only took a couple of weeks before I was put at the Andy table, where Andy sat to not distract himself and others. And part of that was that I've never had the ability to whisper. My voice just kind of carries. So I would never be able to live into the world portrayed in the 2018 hit movie, A Quiet Place. The movie portrays a world in which uh, the human species is being annihilated by these creatures who hunt humans by listening to the sounds they make. So for the family that's at the centerpiece of the story, they must remain as silent as they possibly can all of the time. They live in fear of even making the slightest sound. Every parent here can attest to the moments that we have prayed for complete silence from all of the bickering, all of the arguing, all of the screaming for our children. Some biblical scholars have tried to argue that after the prophet of Malachi that God went silent to the people for 450 years. Their argument is that due to Israel's continued disobedience, that God went silent. In other words, God chose not to send a messenger, God chose not to send a prophet, God chose not to bring a word for 450 years. I can see the argument, except for the fact that there were other biblical books that were written during this stretch of time. We as Protestants just don't accept them as canon, even though they were included in the Bible for the first 1,600 years of our tradition. They include books like the Maccabean Revolt that tell of this upheaval against Rome But still, it was a time of turmoil. One can understand how it felt like God was being silent. Where was the Messiah when people needed him the most? We we try not to be parents who give our children um, smartphones just to kind of appease them, just to be in front of something. But from time to time, we do find ourselves in a place where we need to give them our phones so they can be occupied. And we were a couple months ago working on a project in the house And the girls started watching some shows on both of our phones on the PBS app. Um, What we didn't realize is that our phones had disconnected from the Wi-Fi. So in a matter of minutes, our children had used all of our data for the entire month just like that. And so we cut off uh, the cellular data on our phone. And it's amazing how much you can't do with your phone without cellular data, So all of a sudden, I start getting email after email because apparently you don't get certain types of texts or certain group texts, and so people are wondering why I'm not responding to them. Even the general musing of things like Facebook and Twitter and ESPN updates and reading the news, all of that is gone without data. It's hard to imagine a time before we had our dependence on our smartphones. I, I remember in 2007, I got a BlackBerry Curve, and I thought like I had made it. I had this great phone. It's hard to imagine a time when we didn't have internet on our phones. It's hard to imagine a time without cell phones or internet or computers. Imagine a time without TV where we just sat around the radio and according to American art, people just stared at the radio. Imagine a time before the radio, before light bulbs, before electricity, before running water, before bathrooms in the house. Seriously, what did you do when you woke up at 2 a.m. saying, I didn't drink 10 gallons of water at 12 a.m. this morning? It's hard to imagine a time before the comforts that we take for granted every single day. Now imagine a time before Jesus. Imagine subjugation from Babylon and the Persians and the Macedonians and the Hasmoneans and then the Romans. Imagine seeing generation after generation experience the tumult and and disillusion of foreign control including the destruction of Jerusalem and God's temple. Imagine a time when religious rulers were, in fact, the ruling elite of their day, taking advantage of every person because for every sacrifice made at the temple, a portion of that went into their pockets. Imagine all of these things and receiving a word from a prophet said that a Messiah was going to come to save the people. Imagine a time of waiting and hoping and doubting and then becoming indifferent. Imagine a time without an overwhelming presence of God among us through Jesus who changed the world forever. And as we listen to these words of Malachi, I wonder how often do we live our lives as if Jesus never came? How often for those of us who have experienced Christ, who chose to follow Christ, how many days and weeks and decisions and conflicts go by as if Christ came? is not involved in our life. And all of a sudden, we could sink ourselves into the shoes of those in the first century who are waiting with great anticipation of what maybe is to come. But it's important for us to understand the context of what's happening for Jesus' arrival. We know the Babylonians, the Persians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, and the Romans all come But then within Judea is this powder keg of political and religious mess. You have this puppet ruler in Herod who is ruling the people with an iron fist. You have these four factions within the Gospels that are fighting against each other. It is a powder keg of something that is to come. On top of Romans' iron fist, the Zealots and the Herodians and the Pharisees created this sense of calamity in Israel society. The time was uncertain. It was a time of sorrow. It was a time of emotional struggle. The groundwork was being tilled. People were being prepared for a Savior. They just didn't know it yet. And I'm sure you're thinking, Okay, enough history, Andy. What's the point of this whole sermon? What does this mean for us? When we see the fulfillment of Malachi's words being fulfilled through Christ and through this figure named John the Baptizer, we come to see that God is in the process of continually renewing God's world. Whether it be the turmoil of the Persian rule in Malachi's day or the sectarian division of dominance in in the Romans' day, God continued to make God's presence known by fulfilling God's promises. God keeps God's word. And hope is fueled. The Gospels open up at the end of Israel's wait for God in this act of human history. Despair is turned into renewed hope as we receive the Christ child. God did not abandon us. God is present with us. How palpable are the circumstances of ancient Israel with our world today? You see, people continue to face hopelessness. The loss of jobs and home and dignity and pride for some is just the beginning of an atmosphere of despair only to be compounded with social and political tribalism. There are real people facing real suffering, setbacks, disappointment, prejudice, turmoil, and conflict in this world. And despair ignites within us this crushing sense of helplessness and hopelessness. This can easily lead to a disbelief that God is silent, that God doesn't care about us. And while God is not going to micromanage and wave a wand to fix all the problems of our life, our bank accounts, our change of politicians, your relationship and marital issues, your string of bad luck, the social upheaval in this world, God can and will fill each of us with hope and strength to face all of the challenging circumstances that we face. And we know this because we see it present in the history of God within the Scriptures. God gives us hope for today and a brighter hope for tomorrow. Hope that is seen through peace and reconciliation. Hope that is full of dignity and courage that we can be restored with those that we have conflict with. Hope to fulfill our life into something greater than we think we can currently shape and form within our life. God wants to instill hope within us. God has not abandoned us. God is with us. And the second thing I want us to see from the text this morning is that God is present in our history. In fact, God writes history. God is involved in history. The Bible paints the perfect image of how everything is shaped around God, moving and working in human history. God also shapes the world outside of what we can see within this text. The greatest kingdom in human history cannot stand against Almighty God. Egypt and its pharaoh crumbled at the grip of God in Exodus. The Canaanites fell tribe after tribe as Israel conquested the promised land. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians would meet their end. Rome, the greatest empire this world has ever seen, would crumble as the gospel message spread throughout the empire. History is about God. God is above all empires and countries and governments and rulers and classes and economies and races and gender. It does not depend on who is in power. It doesn't matter who is gripping our lives. God is at work within the world. And this proclamation is fulfilled through Malachi into the gospel message. Advent is a world-altering shift of a God acting in human history as God takes flesh and dwells among us. Back to my first world problems I was talking about earlier with running out of data on my cell phone. Again, these are gadgets that we have become so accustomed to. Now I know I'm I'm not going to be that get off my lawn kind of guy who complains about our over usage of phones that we've become so dependent on because. The same person who would argue the use of cell phones forgets the fact that at one point they had a Rolodex, a paper calendar, a mailing system, a rotary phone, and a reference book. We just happen to put it all into one source. So let's not be judgy McDudders- judgersons to all the other people out there. But the reality is about this experience of being disconnected from a cell phone network was not the responsibility of Verizon. They did give me ample warning, hey, by the way, you're using all your data. So the reality is, it was my choice. It was my decision to disconnect from the very thing I need for work, and communication, if we're all honest, a sense of amusement. Somebody's got to watch those funny cat videos on YouTube. But I'll tell you what, when the next billing cycle came up and my data was restored, it felt like things were back to normal. I know that sounds so silly, but it's easy how integral technology is to how we live and work and interact with each other, I don't want to ever be disconnected from the network again. What I want us to see this morning is that Advent is an invitation to reconnect to the network. Advent is an invitation to reconnect to God through Jesus. The God who keeps God's promises, that continually renews hopes, that God is present in our life, is worth remaining connected to. God has a purpose for your life. God wants to do something great in And through you. And it begins with giving you life. And in this life, God brings salvation through Christ. Through Christ, we find fulfillment and life and peace and grace and hope and purpose. In Christ, we discovered that it is not some politician or economic status or consumption of goods or the vertical life experience that brings us completion. Through Jesus, we are invited to see our lives and the world through the way that God created us to be. God loves you. Please hear me. God loves all of us. And as God gives us new eyes to see this world, we soon discover that we too are the messengers foretold by Malachi. Because we are called to help prepare people's lives for God's love and grace. We are the living fulfillment of God's promises to the world that peace and equality and hope and joy are God's gift to each person, no matter where they live, the choices they have made, nor the circumstances they find themselves in. We are God's living message that God has stepped into human history transforming our lives this radically undeserved compassion that sees no race or economic status or political affiliation or gender or sexuality or level of religiosity or laundry list of mistakes we are those messengers to the world malachi led to a time that was ripe for the savior john was the messenger that prepared the way for jesus i think the time is still ripe for the Messiah. Not just for the world, but for our lives first and foremost. The time is still right for a Savior. As Norman Vincent Peel wrote, Christmas waves a magic wand over this world, and behold, everything is softer and more beautiful. Therefore, may we prepare our hearts for his coming. May we prepare our hearts for his loving transformation. May we prepare our hearts for his calling in our lives to go forth into darkness and hurting with a, a blazing light of hope and restoration. May we prepare our hearts, now not with the ribbons and gifts and evergreen, but with great anticipation of what God is doing in the world. May we be a faith community of preparing for what is here and what is to come. May we be prepared to be the living message of this season of wonder, of joy, of peace, of hope, and of love. To prepare our hearts to come to Christ's table this morning, let's enter into a time of silent meditation.